Thanks for joining us today at Launch Point Church in Lebanon, Tennessee. We believe the Bible is the written word of God without error and useful for every part of our lives. We believe that through learning and teaching of the word, others might come to know God, find freedom, discover their purpose, and make a difference. I'm teaching out of John chapter 15 today. So if you want to go ahead and turn there, you're welcome to. Well, so I'm going to finish a series that we've been in. This will be the fourth week called The Process. And in this series, I've literally talked about the process by which we are fruitful, to which we are disciples, and in our discipleship, create other disciples. That's the mandate according to Scripture, right? Jesus talking to his disciples, people who are already in Christ Jesus, and saying, make disciples, baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teach them all that you know. This is the mandate that we've been given. We can't be disciples or disciple other people according to the Word of God if we aren't willing to be fruitful, if we aren't willing to submit to the process of discipleship and fruitfulness. And so the first week, and I'm going to recap this for those that may not have been here, but for the first week we talked about using this graph about how we're first rooted in Christ, that the Holy Spirit tills the soil God sends someone, according to the Word of God, how will they know lest someone tells them to plant a seed of the gospel? And then as that seed is planted, it breaks and and grows root, which is what we're rooted in. We are rooted in Christ Jesus. And so we started there with an understanding that without the Spirit, without someone willing to declare the gospel to us, and without us being rooted in Christ Jesus, we can't be disciples nor make them. Secondly, we talked about the importance of growing in Christ and how we grow in Christ as we increase our knowledge of who God is because we can't talk about someone we don't know as we increase and grow in our love, both for God and for one another, and increase in our submission to the Word of God. These things grow us to maturity. And then last week, we talked extensively about the pruning process, how God sends or allows trials and tribulations in our life that are intended to cut us back so that we may be ultimately more fruitful. Amen? And so that's where we ended up last week. This week, I want to start or end this series with our responsibility to be fruitful. Our willingness to submit to the process determines our fruitfulness. And the people around us should be able to see that fruitfulness and that discipleship in us. I'm going to do that, like I said, out of John chapter 15, verses 1 through 11. And so if you don't mind, pray or read along with me. It says, I am the true vine. This is Jesus talking. He's talking to his disciples. He says, I am the true vine, and my Father, that is God, is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it so that it may bear more fruit. If you are already, you are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you, abide in me and I in you. 
As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me, and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, he can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away as a branch and dries up, and they gather them and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. I don't really have time to cover this particular verse today, but it's a powerful verse in regard to prayer. It is literally saying, if you abide in me, if you trust in me, ask what you will and it will be provided for you. Uh, if what you're asking for is according to my will. It, there's another caveat somewhere else in Scripture. You can't just be praying in the name of Jesus for anything. You have to pray in the, according to God's will. If you abide in me and my words abides in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. Just as the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be made full. Now, these are very familiar verses. How many of you guys have heard at least 10 teachings on John 15, 1 through 11? Right. I don't know that I'm going to preach it any different than the other 15 times that you've heard it. But what I am going to do is I'm going to be very intentional about teaching it because no matter how many times we hear it, we seem to repeatedly fall short of its mandate. And that mandate is to produce fruit. And so I'm going to make three points today. All of them are going to be relatively simple. Here's the first one. God equips us to be fruitful. Verse 1 through 3 says this, I am the true vine, and my Father the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes so that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. So God equips us to be fruitful. There's a process within the process that you see here that I'm going to cover. But first, in order for us to be fruitful... In that equipping process, we come to know Christ Jesus. He starts with, in me. You can't be fruitful if you're not in Christ Jesus. It says, every branch in me. So we have to start in Christ Jesus. You can't produce fruit on your own. I want to prove this to you in Scripture. As uh, Philippians. Philippians, or Ephesians, I'm sorry, 2, verse 1, reads like this. You were dead in your trespasses and sins. Do you know what that means? You guys have heard that verse taught on a bunch, I'm sure. This literally means, to be dead means that you have no ability internally or externally to respond to any kind of stimulus. You're completely dead. There's nothing in you, there's nothing that you're responding to. You are dead in your trespasses. You are internally and externally dead to spiritual things before Christ Jesus. But then it goes on to say, because you were dead in Christ Jesus, you produce that which is dead. You, you only create what you are. You can only be what you are. And so you 
were formerly walked according to the course of the world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them, we too all formerly lived in the lusts of our flesh, indulging in the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. So as dead, we, didn't re we can't respond to internal stimuli except for that which creates death. As death, we can't produce anything externally except for that which produces death, which is the former things that we used to live in. All of us probably still struggle with the lust of the flesh, those things we formerly lived in, indulging in the desires of the flesh and of the mind. And because of this, because we were dead in our trespasses, incapable of responding to any stimuli, it says that we are sons of disobedience and subjects of the wrath of God. Now, man, that's heavy. Yes, it is. What's beautiful is God could have left you that way. God had every right in the world to leave you that way. He had every right to say, you know what? You're not worth messing with. I told you if you sinned, you'd die, so I'm going to go ahead and let you die instead of sacrificing my son Jesus on behalf of you. I'm going to let you die, and I'm going to start over. But he didn't do that. Instead, it says this, but God. Y'all should get excited whenever y'all hear that, but God, especially when it comes after all this other craziness. Being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with who? With Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that in the ages to come, he might show the surpassing riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. Listen to me. You can't bear fruit. You can't produce fruit unless you're first in Christ Jesus. And you're only in Christ Jesus for this reason, because God is rich in mercy, because he has an incredible, overwhelming, and great love for us, because he has extended, because of his mercy and love to us, grace that we didn't deserve, demonstrating to us that he truly is kind. That's what this word is saying, that God's love produces mercy. God's mercy produces kindness. God's kindness produces grace. And it's by grace, according to verse 8, that you have been saved through faith. Not of yourself. It is a gift of God. What am I doing? I'm just telling you the truth about who you are versus who God created you to be. In Christ Jesus, we are fruitful. I think that's beautiful, that God had a plan before the foundations of the earth to save us, that we are no longer sons of disobedience, we are no longer subject of God's perfect wrath, but that Jesus Christ placed himself upon the cross to receive our punishment, which is death according to the word, shed blood for our sins according to the word, and absorb the wrath of God that we deserved. Amen? I want to talk to you guys about fruitfulness. But you know what? I can't do that yet. 
All I can do right now is tell you that God gave us Jesus so that we could be fruitful. I could go ahead and on with this teaching, and normally I save this kind of thing for the end, but if you don't have this piece right, the rest doesn't matter. If you don't understand who you were, that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, but that God sent his son Jesus, that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. If you don't believe who you were, the fact that Jesus sent you to be somebody else and that we appropriate that through the declaration of Romans 10, 9, which is to say Jesus Christ is Lord, believing in our heart that God raised him from the dead, then we're not saved if we're not willing to say that. And fruitfulness is impossible because we are still dead and dead things don't produce. And so because of that, I'm going to stop here and do something I normally reserve for the end. I'm going to ask you where your heart's at. I'm going to ask you, are you in Christ Jesus? Have you made a declaration of Jesus Christ according to the word of God, that he is Lord and that you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead? And by doing so, submitting your life to him and believing because he has eternal life, you'll have eternal life too. These are the questions we have to ask ourselves, not just listen to the teaching. The teaching is intended to create introspection. And every teaching I ask myself, where do I lack? Every teaching that I teach or that I listen to, where do I lack? And some of us are all, man, I'm good. I gave my life to the Lord when I was seven. You know, the Bible tells us, be careful that you don't drift away, too. Some of us have drifted away, potentially. But you know what? You don't have to stay drifted away. You don't have to stay outside of Christ. The Word of God, by the power of the Holy Spirit, is telling you right now, some of you, that you can get it right so that you might ultimately be fruitful and produce the fruits you were created to produce. If that's you, I'm going to pray. And I want you to pray along with me. I'm not going to do repeat after me prayers. I don't do that. You know where you are. I'm going to pray that God, by the power of his Holy Spirit, cause you to repent. Father God, in Jesus' name, we love you. We praise you, Lord. We thank you for the opportunity we have to come to you, that none of it is possible without Jesus Christ, that he died so that we wouldn't have to. He shed blood so that we wouldn't have to. He paid the debt so that we wouldn't have to. He redeemed us, Lord God, and bought us back from the enemy so we are no longer children of wrath but children of yours. God, we make these bold statements believing that they're true, declaring Jesus Christ is Lord. And I, I say I'm going to follow Jesus as Lord of my life. And I believe in my heart, God, that I'll have eternal life because of it. And so I'll set my sin aside. I ask that you cover it by your blood, that you wash it completely clean by your blood. But God, I'm not just going to turn away from my sin. I'm going to turn towards your son, Jesus, because he's the example I'm to follow. God, where I get it wrong, where I miss it, I ask that you continue to walk beside me by the power of your Holy Spirit and encourage me. Your word says that you will. I thank you for my salvation and my security in it. I praise you, Lord, for who you are. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 
And so we we are equipped to be fruitful in Christ Jesus, but it doesn't end there. That's the first part of the process. It's the greatest part of the process, I think, but it's still just a part of the process. It says this then. It says, every branch in me, which we've covered, does not bear fruit. That does not bear fruit, he takes away. Now, here's where my teaching may differ from the teaching that you've heard. To take away doesn't mean remove. If you'll do a word study on take away, it literally means to lift up and clean. And so it is a process. You are saved by grace, drawn out of death into life, but some of us still got some funk on us. Anybody still got some funk on you? Rest of y'all lying, right? God didn't say, God doesn't say, hey, I gave you Jesus, you messed it up. Now I'm going to take you away. I'm going to throw you away. I'm going to burn you. He says, listen, I know that you're still jacked up. The day I got saved, I got up. I didn't actually go to an altar. I got saved in my seat. But I got up from the altar, from my seat as it were, as jacked up as I was physically before I asked Jesus into my life. But you know what he did? He picked me up. He reattached me to the vine. Lifted me up out of the dirt so I didn't get funky again. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. That is the act of sanctification. You're all, man, I'm not getting it right. God doesn't expect you to get it right. He expects that to put the work in. It was his work to do. Just submit to his work. Let him lift you up. Tie you back to the vine. Wipe the dirt off of you. But guess what's going to happen? Vines always head south. So at some point, you're likely to end up in the dirt again. But you know what? If you keep a repentant heart, we have a promise that God, when we ask for forgiveness, is faithful to forgive us. And so he takes us up again, and he ties us to the vine. I'm trying to encourage y'all, because some of y'all walking in condemnation that the Bible says you shouldn't have to walk in. There's no condemnation in Christ Jesus. That's what the Word says. If you're feeling anything other than condemnation, if you're feeling... Like you can't get it right, that's of the enemy. That's not of God. God did everything necessary to ensure that you are confidently in his righteous right hand and stay there. That's good preaching right there, Pastor Jim. I know, thank you. I'm trying to stay humble. So he picks us up, takes us away from the ground, wipes us off, and cleans us up. That's step two. Step three in the equipping process is that he prunes us. Now, we talked extensively about pruning last week. Sometimes God sends or allows things to happen to us for the simple sake of our perfection. But you know what? That doesn't mean he's done with you. Who prunes a tree and then pulls it out of the ground? Why wouldn't you just pull it out of the ground? He prunes us back for a purpose. He prunes us back because he sees potential in you, because he knows there's a greater fruitfulness in you than you're producing. And he has enough trust in you to know that you're going to take the work that he's done and produce fruit with it. So he cuts you back so that you may grow healthier and stronger. Man, that's good. That is so good that God loves us so much that he didn't just save us. He washes us clean, washes us clean every day, and then cuts us back so that we might be more fruitful. God equips us to be fruitful. Who are we to not be fruitful? You know why we are not fruitful, even though we're equipped? 
because we've allowed condemnation to come in. We've allowed ourselves to say, man, I ain't never getting it right. Might as well just quit trying. Let me tell you, because you're not ever getting it right is the exact reason why you shouldn't quit trying. The more I get it wrong, the more I want to try. No athlete is good if he stops trying to be an athlete the first time he gets tackled or punched in the mouth. He has to fight through it, work through it. So we've been equipped. We're in Christ Jesus. We've been taken up. And praise God, according to the word of God, we've been pruned. And for this reason, verse 3 is true. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. I want you all to breathe that verse in for a minute. You are already clean. You are already clean. You are already clean. Be fruitful. Amen? So we're equipped to be fruitful. But you know what? God expects us to be fruitful too. He's invested in us. He expects an ROI, return on investment. Verses 4 through 6 says this, Abide in me and I in you, is the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. So neither can you unless you abide in me. That's a simple truth. If I go out here to a grapevine, I snip off a piece of it, I throw it on the ground, is it going to, is it going to grow? It's just going to dry up and die. It has to be attached to the vine. Verse 5, I am the vine, that's Jesus, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Everybody say, do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away as a branch and dries up. And they gather them and cast them into the fire and they are burned. There is a point where we're thrown away. God has an expectation of us. And I think it's fair that God expect fruit from us for all the work that he's put in, all the stuff that he's done, that he sacrificed his son Jesus for us. It's reasonable that he would expect fruit from us. I tell you guys all the time, we serve an if-then God. And I tell you, hyper-grace folks don't like that. No, I serve an unconditional God. You serve an if-then God. His love for you is unconditional, but you're... Your relationship is conditional. And this is what I mean. If you do this, then I will do this. Over and over and over in the scripture, you see this if then. If you declare Jesus Christ, believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, then you shall be saved. For every promise just about in scripture, there's a stipulation. But let me tell you, that doesn't just work in the positive. That also works in the negative. This verse 6, if anyone does not abide in me, then he is thrown away as a branch. We are the branches and dries up and they gather them and cast them in the fire and they're burned. God deserves to expect fruit from us. I'm going to read you a scripture out of Isaiah that summarizes how truly Wonderful God is to prepare us and what happens when we don't produce the fruit we should. 
People say, well, you're reading from the Old Testament. Let me clear up something. I'm reading from the Old Testament. I'm not reading about a different God. Everybody all right? He's talking about Israel, but we've been grafted in. So when he says Israel, he's talking about his people. You are his people, according to the covenant of Abraham. You are his people. And so that which the Old Testament says about you is true about you because the character of God is unchangeable. All right, just wanted to clear that up because some people say, oh, he's reading from the Old Testament. He's, he's, he's off track. Verse 5, chapter 5, verse 1. Let me sing now for my well-beloved, a song of my beloved concerning his vineyard. That's capital H. That's God's vineyard. My well-beloved and a vineyard on a fertile hill. This is what he did. He dug it all around, removed its stones, planted it with the choicest vine. That's us. That's Israel specifically, but us through, through the process of being grafted in. And he built a tower in the middle of it and also hewed out a wine vat in it. Then he expected it to produce good grapes, but it only produced worthless ones. You see all the work God did to ensure that his vineyard produced? It says he removed its stones, dug around it, planted a planted the vine, built a tower, hewed out a wine vat in it. Why would you produce a wine vat? Why would you make a wine vat if you didn't expect it at some point to be full of wine? But it didn't produce. It only produced worthless grapes. And now, O inhabitants of Jerusalem and men of Judah, judge between me and my vineyard. What more was there to do for my vineyard than I have not done in it? I'll ask you the same question. What more is there to do in you that God hasn't done in you in Christ Jesus? Awesome place. Why then, if I expect to produce good fruits, did it not produce worthless ones? Verse 5. So now let me tell you what I'm going to do to my vineyard. Because it didn't produce. This is the parallel between this text and verse 6 and the reason I'm talking about it. So now let me tell you what I'm going to do to my vineyard. I will remove its hedge and it will be consumed. I will break down its wall and it will become trampled ground. I will lay it waste. It will not be pruned or hoed, but briars and thorns will come up. I will also charge the clouds to rain no rain on it. Destruction is the end result of the vineyard that produces no fruit. Well, that's not fair. That's not right. That doesn't seem loving. You don't get to define love. God defines love because God is love. If this is what he says he'll do, then it is loving for him to do it because he can't be anything other than loving, whether you understand it or not. And so he expects us to be fruitful. He expects us to live the life he sent his son to die for. He expects us to live a life worthy of emulating. He expects us to live a life worthy of proclaiming him. He expects from us and should. Now, I could end the sermon right now. Walk away, many of y'all be like, that's a good sermon. But I'll be honest with you, up till now it's been a horrible sermon because I haven't told you how to be fruitful. So not only does he equip us, not only does he expect us, he educates us on how to be fruitful. And this is what he says in verses 7 through 10. 
If you abide in me and my word abides in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. Just as the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. What is this text telling us? That he educates us on how to be fruitful. He tells us first, if you want to be fruitful, do it for the right reason. Do it to glorify God. Everything that God does, he does to glorify himself. Those of you that have been coming to church here a while have heard me say that a thousand times. Let me tell you, your salvation isn't even about you. Your salvation is about the glory of God. God took the worthless and made it worthy by the sacrifice of his son Jesus, which is increases his reputation. That is an increased glory of God every time somebody comes to salvation. Everything God does, his provision proves his glory. His peace proves his glory. Everything that God gives us proves his glory. And so our fruit should be done with the motivation of giving God glory. How do I produce fruit? Make sure my motivation's right. Glorify God. What does glorify mean? We use a lot of religious words these days. You guys ever been to a place where they talk about sanctification and regeneration and all these propitiation? They start talking all these Asian words. And most people in a pews are going, yeah, but don't have any idea what they mean. That happened to me the first time I got asked what grace was. I was trying to talk to a guy about Jesus. I said, man, he's extended us grace. I was super excited. I've been saved maybe three weeks. And I said, man, he extended us grace and just grace. And I was just grace and blah, blah, blah. And I used the word grace like 12 times. And this cat across the table looks at me. He goes, what's grace? And I was all, well, it's the stuff, man. <laughs> the stuff that God gave us. Didn't have an answer for him. Went and bought a Bible dictionary, called him back and told him. My point is we should never wonder what words mean. What does glorify mean? Glory, to give glory to God means to give God his full weight and to honor him. My motivation for producing fruit is to give God the full weight of who he is with everything I do, everything I say. You ever wonder why God wouldn't allow Moses to see, to see him but just a piece of him? Because the full weight of who God was would have killed him. But you know what? I could show people the piece of God's weight that I know and produce fruit in doing it, and I should. Our motivation should be right. That's our motivation, to produce fruit. Secondly, our motivation should be to glorify God, but we must be willing, if we are to produce fruit, to abide in him and in his love. In six verses within this text, there are six verses, the word abide is mentioned 10 times. Let me tell you, if you hear something repeated more than three times in any given text, that's, the, that's one of the primary things they're trying to tell you. And so I am trying to tell you, you can't be fruitful unless you're willing to abide. Abide literally just means to rest in, to trust in, to dwell in, to remain in, to live in the shadow of the Most High, 
to, to allow yourself to just rest in Christ Jesus and the work that he's done, to allow yourself to trust the work that God has done and who the Bible says that he is. You're struggling with something? Let me tell you, abide in Christ Jesus. Allow him to cover you, according to the Old Testament, with his wings so that you'll be protected. When I abide, this is what happens. I begin to trust. When I trust, I'm not scared. When I'm not scared, I declare the gospel. When I declare the gospel, I produce fruit. And that's my commandment. You know, how do all those things line up? Most of us will refuse to tell people about Jesus because we're afraid that they won't receive what we're saying to them. But if I abide, if I trust, if I live in, if I dwell in, it doesn't matter how they respond to me. Matter of fact, they're not responding to me at all. If they respond, they're responding to the provocation of the Holy Spirit. I get asked pretty regular. I got asked, well, not pretty regular, regularly enough, I suppose. What if you do an altar call and nobody shows up? What if you call people to the front and nobody comes? Well, that's not my problem. I abide in Christ Jesus. I know what the Holy Spirit told me to do. I'm going to do it. And your response to what the Spirit told me to do has nothing to do with what God told me to do. I'm going to trust that he told me to do it. And just because you didn't respond doesn't mean you're not going to respond 10 years from now or 10 days from now or 10 minutes from now. I don't have to worry about that. You know why? Because I abide. And in my abiding, I'm willing to produce fruit and be fruitful. I'm willing to drop seed. When a tree becomes fruitful, at some point that fruit falls to the ground. Rots, that seed enters the ground, and the process starts all over in someone else's life. That's making disciples. That's how you make disciples. But you can't make disciples if you're not a disciple, if you're not willing to submit to the process, if you're not willing to abide and trust that the words that you speak aren't your words. But you are responsible for that. Amen? And then finally, he very simply says, keep my commandments. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I've kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. How am I fruitful? I'm fruitful by making sure my motivation's right, by abiding, and by keeping his commandments. You guys hear me say this every Sunday. I can't keep his commandments if I don't know what his commandments are. If I don't know the word of God, I can't speak the word of God. If I don't know the gospel according to the word of God, I can't declare the gospel, which means I cannot produce fruit or watch fruit grow in other people, which means I've completely dismissed the mandate that God gave his disciples in Matthew chapter 28. Keep his commandment. I'm going to read something to you. In Matthew chapter 14, or sorry, John chapter 14, four times he says this. Verse 15, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. It's pretty simple, not a whole lot of gray area there. Verse 21, he who has my commandments and keeps them is the one who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and will disclose myself to him. So when we keep our commandments, not only do we prove our love to God, God shows his love to us, and then this thing happens. And then 
He discloses himself to us. How many of you guys like to know more about God than you know right now? Man, I would. You know how you do that? Keep his commandments. Why would he give you new revelation if the revelation you got, you didn't do anything with? Verse 23 says, Jesus answered, said to him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word. Verse 24, if he does not love me, he who does not love me does not keep my word. All of those things are pretty simple. You want to produce fruit? Produce fruit according to the word. Keep his commandments, and you can't know what that is if you're not in the word. And finally in verse 11, he says, I tell you all these things to make my joy complete, but I also make it, give you these words to make your joy full. Man, I tell you, there's nothing that brings more joy than knowing you're accomplishing the mission God gave you. You're doing what God gifted you to do of making disciples. There's nothing greater than knowing that I have been a good steward of that which God has called me to. And that at the end of my life, I'm going to hear, well done, good and faithful servant, which I am convinced we will hear as we are fruitful. Amen.